right then. Are you ready? So, um, I know this is a hard thing to imagine, but I've started cycling. I don't even want you to think about Lycra, though, okay? Because, <laughs> like, I know that might cause some of you to stumble. <laughs> stumble over with laughter and hilarity. But I, th- you know, so, anyway, so I, I got on my bike. I, I'd cycled into church, you know, I, I came the short way from Newton Hill, so it's about, I don't know, um, 18 kilometers. Um, I spent most of the day half dead on my feet after doing that. But anyway, I thought I better cycle home. So I'm cycling home and, and, and I'm getting into it. But the thing that really just wasn't great, and those of you that have cycled will get this, I think there was a 30 mile an hour headwind. You know, so you're like, you're going up Wellington Road past Shell. You know, it's bad enough going up that hill, but with a 30 mile an hour head, you're just feeling this is hard. I mean, this is tough, you know. I got home and I said, oh man, I don't know if I want to do that again. And um, I just want to, I don't know if this is a word for some of us this morning, but sometimes, you know, doing the right thing is also a t- is, is hard work. I was speaking to a church leader recently who just said, you know, just over 10 years ago, we felt like God had asked us to move to another city and through lots of amazing um, moments, people uh, had words for them, and uh, his wife had got a job against the odds, and they moved to this particular city, and they just knew it was God speaking to them. They just knew. And he said, though, this has been the toughest 10 years of my life in ministry. He said it wasn't wrong to go to this city. It was absolutely the right thing, but it was tough. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we think that if everything's going absolutely brilliantly, we're somehow in God's will. I just want to temper that and say, actually, sometimes we make decisions and we do the right thing and we pursue God and it feels like there's a prevailing wind against us. And for some of us in this room today, this might be a word for you. You've made the right decision. You've chosen and you felt God say, take that job or, or do that thing. And, and actually, you're suddenly like, oh, man, this is tough. This is not easy. I want to just suggest, hang in there. Don't, you know, that saying, you know, when, the, when it gets hot in the kitchen or something, you know, and then you, you have to leave. What, what was the actual, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. You know, we don't want to be those kind of Christians. You know, we want to be Christians that can take the heat and we stay put for the long haul. And sometimes we're going to be opposed around certain things in life because of our values will clash sometimes with certain aspects of uh, values in our society. Listen, we're in the book of Mark. We're just, I think I'm the last time that for a while that you know, we're going to be opening up Mark and then we're fully um, sort of uh, submerging ourselves in the book of Ephesians. But just where we are in this particular chapter, we're in Mark chapter 12. And, you know... Jesus has come to Jerusalem, and he's entered in, and, and suddenly it's like conflict after conflict, and opposition after, you know, moments of opposition. He is feeling the heat, and he is beginning to challenge the leaders of his day. He's confronting, he, you know, uh, and he's being confronted about his teaching, and his authority, and Jesus is beginning to challenge the, 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 the system, um, the religious system of his day. 
And what we're going to find is that the leaders uh, are really struggling with it, and so they want to get rid of him. And so here we are. That's the kind of context in the backdrop. And so we're going to read um, from verse 13. We're going to talk about tax. Oh my goodness, I want to be inspired when I come to church. Tax. The accountants are going, yes, that's my thing. (laughs) Okay, let's have a look at what um, Jesus is going to say to us this morning. So verse 13, it says this, and later they sent, this is the leaders, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I don't know what you were expecting this morning. Um, in terms of um, what we were going to be reading in the Bible, but I'm guessing it wasn't this particular passage. I just want to make some observations, okay? And I think, have you ever had a conversation with somebody, and uh, the conversation that you're having is not actually the conversation that you're having. You're having a different conversation. The words are this, but actually something else is being communicated. You ever had that? Yeah? Yeah? That's what's going on here. What we see on the surface of this conversation and challenge is not what you think. It is about something else. So hopefully you've got your thinking caps on. You know, you, you know we're going we're gonna to dig around a little bit. But first and foremost, what I love about this moment is Jesus sees through people's trickery. Doesn't he? He just cuts through it. Straight through their games, their maneuvering. And he sees through it to the heart of the issue. See, the leaders come and they start to question Jesus. And they come and they dress up their questions in loads of flattery. Do you see that? You know, they say things, you know, they're appealing to Jesus' nature. They're saying, hey, you're a man of integrity. You're a man of steadfast purpose. You know, you're a secure man. You're not easily swayed by public opinion. And you're teaching, oh man, you're teaching truth. We know that. And so these guys come, they want to catch Jesus out, but so they start to appeal to his nature. You are steadfast, you are true, you're a man of integrity. And they're trying to back him into a corner. You see that, can't you? And they think they've got him on taxes. If you can't get him directly, we might be able to get him on tax evasion. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Now, I'm not saying, you know, 
Al Capone and Jesus are in the same moment, all right? But the reality is they're trying to find a loophole. They're trying to find something. They're trying to get Jesus to say something that would shoot himself in the foot so that then they can get rid of him. Now, I don't know about you, but I often end up shooting myself in the foot, you know, by what I say. And, uh, but that's what they're wanting. They're wanting to try and get him to say something that would incite um, something against the authorities or against, in particular, the crowd that, was, uh, that, ha- that, that saw Jesus in high regard. So then they would have some kind of ammunition to, to, do, to sort of get rid of Jesus. And so here he is. Jesus has come and he's challenging the sort of leadership of his day. And he's, you know, there's a parable just before this that, I don't know, you have done, haven't you? The parable of the terrible tenants. And at the ending of that parable, Jesus is basically challenging and he's saying, you know what you guys have done? You've re- you have replaced relationship with ritual. A relationship with God is not about re- more religious rituals. It was meant to be a relationship. And you've swapped that out. You've taken transparency and, it's, and you've you sort of terminated that and hypocrisy has got a hold. He says, you, you're no longer acting with authenticity. It's been relegated and been looked down upon. And actually you're becoming very arrogant in what you think. And you're becoming prejudiced. And so Jesus comes into that at the end of this parable of the tenants, and he's saying to the, to the leaders of his day, you can neither live with that religious behavior, you can live with it, you have a choice to make, you can hold on to the way that you're doing things, but if you do, it's going to kill you. Or you can accept the truth of what's going on here. That my Father in heaven never created us to be in a religion, but to be in a full-on relationship with Him. And actually, something needs to be torn down here. And, and, and we know that in the end of that parable, He talks about this stone that's been rejected becomes the capstone. And He's basically saying is, He says, you can either live with your religious behavior, but ultimately, that is going to become so weighted and it constricting, and you end up living, a, not even really living a proper life. Or you can engage and accept and receive the sun that you're rejecting, and you could have life in all its fullness. You see what's going on here? And so Jesus has come, and he, at this point in time, he's speaking truth into a situation. And there are generally three responses when someone speaks truth into our lives. The first thing is this, you go, that is absolutely right. Oh my goodness, I need to receive it and embrace it. And when we embrace it, sometimes it's painful because truth deals with our hypocrisy and our masking of things. Truth exposes some things. You know, it can be a bit uncomfortable. But when we embrace it and it tears down our pride and our poor attitudes and, all, and even the sin in our lives, and it brings it down, it breathes life into us. And so Jesus is saying to his leaders, it's up to you. You can embrace and receive life, or you can stay where you are. Often, you know, sometimes we do that, though, don't we? 
How many of us have someone come into our lives and spoken truth and you're like, oh, I didn't want to see, I really didn't want to hear that, or ooh, yeah. But then there's a choice in there, isn't there? Between husbands and wives, parents and kids, aunties and uncles, your teacher, your mentor, whatever it looks like, there are moments where they come and they just have that look you in the eye moment and they go, let me just say some truth into your life. You can choose to receive it or not. And how many of us, are, when that moment happens with, with the dancers, someone speaks truth and it's like, oh, 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 we're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I think it's true, but I'm going to avoid it. And we kind of dance around for a while. And we, we're like, oh, but why? Because it's going to require change. And I'm not good with change. I like to be comfortable. How many of us are like that? Come on, this is, if we can't be like, you know, honest in church, then you can't, you know what I mean? But it's like that, isn't it? And then sometimes, and this is, the, this is the, where the leaders went. When someone speaks truth and it's just like, but I am so far down a track. I just don't, in fact, I not only can I not hear that, I'm, I hate it. It's like, oh, so we're going to kill it. We're going to just get rid of that truth that's bugging me. And so that's where we're at. The teachers can't handle the truth that Jesus is bringing. And so they want to get rid of him. And they think they're going to get rid of him. So this whole issue of are you going to pay taxes to Caesar? So let's just look at the story a little bit. Because I think it's amazing um, what actually happens here. So... Um, I don't know if you noticed that, uh, or you've heard that um, saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, it's an ancient proverb that suggests that two opposing parties can or should work together against a common enemy. So the Pharisees and the Herodians that are mentioned in this passage, listen, um, the Pharisees hated the Romans. The Herodians, well, you remember King Herod? Well, actually, the Romans, when they invaded, they kept the king kind of as a puppet king, so he wasn't that bothered about the Romans. In fact, actually... It kind of benefited him. And so we've got these, and, and so these two parties, like you're the Herodians, by the way, and you're the Pharisees. Normally, you lot can't stand this lot, and this lot can't stand you lot. But because Jesus has come along, and he's challenged both parties, suddenly that which were enemies are now friends, and it's ganging up time, and let's try and get rid of this same thorn in our side. Okay, so that's what's going on here. And so they propose a classic, sort of catch-22 sort of situation. It's paradoxical, and there seems to be no escape. Because what they're saying is, if they can get Jesus to say something about inciting others not to pay tax, and it was an occupation tax, yeah? And this is how the Rome was built. They invaded, didn't they? And then they levied taxes of those nations to build and to kind of uh, maintain and grow Rome. And so what's going on here is if, if, they can, if, they, if, if they hear that Jesus is saying, inciting the crowd not to give taxes to Rome, then Rome is perfectly within its rights to get rid of this guy because he's inciting something against imp the imperial authority, if you like. But if he doesn't say, don't pay taxes, then if he's a real Jew, 
and they're living in an oppressed context, and if he really is the Messiah, the one who will bring freedom, how can he say, pay taxes to this, you know, megalomaniac who's thousands of miles away oppressing other nations and including ours? He's the new Pharaoh. How can you say it's right to give him money? Can you see what's going on here? Now think about the context of this. We are about, in Mark 12, we're about to hit Passover. What, in, what are they celebrating at Passover? At Passover, they're celebrating the fact that Moses led Israel out of oppression, out of the hands of Pharaoh, into all of the promises that God had given. And they're about to celebrate that, but they've got Caesar a new pharaoh going, I want tax from you. Can you see the catch-22? If he says no, then one of the parties is going to go, ah, we've got him. And if he says yes, the crowd are like, you can't be the guy that we thought you were going to be. And it's like a catch-22. And how is Jesus going to get out of this without somehow being scathed? But he's Jesus. That's the thing. He's Jesus. And so what on earth is going on? The trap is set. So is this just about clever bullet dodging? Is this moment about appeasing authorities in some way? Is it simply about doing and honoring civil authority and somehow honoring God? Is it a comment on some kind of sort of dual citizenship? It's okay to have a foot in two camps? Is it okay? Is it okay somehow to live divided lives? Is it okay that we just portion off parts of ourselves? You see, they're asking about taxes. But Jesus is talking about ownership. They're talking about financial proportions or portions. Actually, what Jesus is doing in this moment He's calling them to higher devotion. He's very clever. He's very insightful. So what does he do? He says, okay, well, you want to talk about money. You want to talk about tax. So bring me a denarius. So they do, don't they? They bring him a coin. And he simply asks the question, whose portrait or image is on this piece of metal? And we can see it up here a little bit. No wonder they say he's got a Roman nose in it and it roams all over his face. You know? <laughs> that was rubbish, wasn't it? <laughs> the, but, but, so he's got, and they're going, well, the, yes, it's, it's Caesar. And the inscription, what is the inscription on that? Well, you know what the inscription of the denarius was? Divine son. Divine son. And so Jesus then responds to that. And he says, give to Caesar the things of Caesar. Okay. What he's saying is this. Give this stuff, the stuff that bears his image, give it back to him. Actually, in the original language, the posture of the sort of Greek is much more this. He can have his metal with his face on it, but that's all he's ever going to get. He can have the metal, 
that's got his image on it. But that's all he's ever going to get. It's a moment, isn't it? And then he said, now if he had left it there, he might have just incited some issues and maybe the Pharisees of the crowd are like, oh, we've got him. Because he's just said, give Caesar what's due him. But he doesn't. He then, excuse the pun, flips the coin. He says, there's another side. And he says, give to God what is God's. In other words, and a better way of saying it, and a more accurate way of saying it is, give to God what bears his image. Give to God what bears his image. Give to God what has his image, God's image imprinted on it. Give to God that has the hallmarks of creator Yahweh on it. Give to God what is God's. And in that moment, everyone else in the room or in that area knows exactly what Jesus is saying because he's actually calling out Genesis chapter 1. He says that you have been made in whose image? My image, God's image. Humanity has been made in the image of God. Each and every one of us has something of the imprint, the DNA of the creator, the loving father who loves and is devoted to his people and to creation. And everything about God is good. Give to God what is God. Give to God what has his image in it, on it. It's difficult. What on earth is he saying? He's saying give God everything. We, the people of God, we are those who bear his image and reflect this. It's this incredible and privileged relationship with God. We should be reflecting that. Give to God what is God's. Here's the irony in this moment. Can you see? There's a whole bunch of irony. Give me a denarii. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He thinks he's the divine one. The divine one is standing right in front of you right now. The real divine son is stood here. And you know what you're doing? I'm asking a question. Are you, right now, reflecting my father's image or Caesar's? Can you see it? The leaders. He's challenging the leaders. What you're doing right now with this trickery, you're trying to get rid of the truth. You're trying to get rid of the real divine son. Whose image are you reflecting in your behavior right now? Because it certainly isn't God's. But it most certainly looks like Caesar's. And when we read this stuff sometimes, we think Jesus is having a conversation at this level, but actually he's not. He's going way deeper and he's saying, listen, they're talking about finance. I am talking about who are you fully surrendered to? Who are you owned by? It's a much bigger question. And when you deal with that one, taxes is less of an issue. It doesn't own you. But right now, You're behaving like Caesar owns you. What owns us? Can you see? Are you with me, folks? Yeah. It is different, isn't it? When you start to unpack this stuff. Where is God's image in your actions right now? In other words, Jesus is like, what has become of us? 
that we're seeking to trip each other up about tax, collecting money for a tyrannical regime. But we're the people of God, and we bear His image, His grace, His peace, His reconciliation. So he's asking a question, where is the image of God in this moment? Now, don't get me wrong, all right? For the political people in the room, there is a place, there is a place to work out the ethics of whether or not it is right to support something that is unrighteous or not. Yeah? And I like, we could, we could speak into our own current situation politically in this country, in this nation, and all the rest of it, whether it is right to pay taxes to something that certainly may have for some of us areas of it of unrighteousness, that our government may or may not have hold or pertain the same values of we would necessarily have. And so if we're paying a certain amount of tax into that, are we actually condoning and supporting that? Listen, I agree, there is an ethical challenge in that moment, but this is not the passage to do it from. Jesus isn't doing that here. I think what he's doing here, he's going after the heart, okay, and not the pocket. He's going after the heart of this issue. And so it feels like, give to Caesar what belongs to him. Send it back to him. He's not the divine one. But give the divine one everything. I think Jesus is calling in that moment to the people listening. um, He's saying to them, it's time for another surrender moment. Because when we're surrendered to God, the material isn't an issue any longer. And so I think there's two things we just maybe just drop in on here. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I was like, oh my word. I don't want to, I want to bear, sorry, I want to bear God's image wherever I am. I, want, I don't want to be like the world around me at times that often presses in and what seeks to get under my skin and to reproduce pain and selfishness and a selfishness that ultimately controls, controls my life and then I want to control other people's lives. It seeks to squeeze the life and the resources out of others for selfish gain. Ultimately, that is what Caesar did. I don't want to reflect that. In fact, when you come to Christ, there is an absolute reaffirmation that we bear the image of God and things should begin to change. I don't, want his, I don't want Caesar's image to shape me. And so for most of us in this room, we know that we're called. If you become a follower of Jesus, we know that we're called, that we're in this world and not of it. But the reality is this. We pick up the dust of Caesar every day. Do we not? Because we live in a society, in a world that presses in and seeks to shape us. But we don't want to be conformed to this world. I want to be conformed to the world to come. Can you hear that? And so there are moments in our lives where actually we suddenly reflect and go, oh my goodness, in that moment, 
I was more Caesar than God. I was more Caesar in that moment than Jesus. Can you see that? And I think for all of, I mean, I've been a Christian nearly, well, a few years. And I still wrestle with aspects of this. Because the Bible is clear. When you come to Christ and you invite him into your life, something radical happens in our lives and in our hearts. But as we live and grow, we have to then deal with stuff that comes up. And sometimes that stuff touches our lives. And we need to bring the dust of Caesar back to God and say, I'm really sorry. In that moment of dealing with my kids, boy, oh boy, I was Caesar. (laughs) Can you see that? Or when I was man, maybe you're a manager here in, in your job. What, what image, what image are you reflecting in that moment? I'll tell you what, you know this, this stuff that you're doing for the baby stuff? That reflects the image of God right at the heart of it. Whatever we think and believe about God, I'll tell you what, that is a godly thing. So I, I'm just living with a question in our everyday life. Am I, is this the image of God or is this the image of Caesar in this moment? And maybe for some of us, you know, you know what those things are and it's probably highlighting something. You know, some of you know me quite well and some of you have met my dad. And uh, my dad, well, I look like my dad. I mean, he's bald. He's quite a big guy. Bigger probably than he should be. And as I've got older, I am looking more and more like him. I think in this passage, Jesus wants to encourage you and me. Let's grow in the image of our Father in heaven. Let's grow in that. Let's become like him in character, in graciousness, in love, in kindness, and in forgiveness. He he doesn't seek to control our lives. He seeks to give us choice. Because he's a loving God and because he's a loving God, there's always going to be choice. And in those moments of am I going to act like Caesar or am I going to be like God or be like his son, we have a moment of choice. I think more often than not, we have a decision to be made. And when we make the right choice, it's like, oh, that's it. And I want to encourage us, let's become and let the Holy Spirit work in our life so that we become a people that reflect his image more and more in our daily lives. And the flip side of that is the leaders are asking questions about tax, but Jesus is talking about ownership. So I want to ask a question, what owns you? Maybe it's the same question, but from a slightly different perspective. What owns you? What's shaping your life? What really is shaping your life? Because what I'm devoted to, because this is what he's saying. He's saying, if you're devoted to God, then the tax thing isn't an issue. Because you've resolved in your heart, I'm his, and I come under his authority, and my devotion to him is all of me. And yes, I need to be a good civil servant, if you like, and pay my taxes, but that is not going to own me. The material is not going to own me. He owns me. And he is our Father in heaven who has a thousand cattle on a hill. He can provide everything and anything for us when we trust him. Do you see what's going on there? And so they're asking about tax, but Jesus is asking about ownership. And at the moment, 
Caesar owns the leaders of the nation. So I'm asking a question, Lord, what really owns me? And I've been thinking about that a little bit. Because I think, I do say, Lord, and maybe that word ownership is a weird one. Because again, God doesn't own us. Because he gives us choice. Like, I don't own my wife, and my wife doesn't own me. We're in a covenant relationship where we're saying, I love you and I want the best for you. And it's a mutual thing going on there. And there's a choice involved. But actually, I don't mind that she kind of owns me. Because I know that she's got her best for me and wants the best for me. Do you see what I mean? And it's, I think that's a similar reflection of, I don't know how you see God, but it's a dynamic relationship. And so I've been thinking about what, what owns us, what shapes us. And I think often, here's a telltale thing. The things that we worry about the most, I think, are the things that we are seeking to shape our lives. The th when we get into bed at night and close our eyes and suddenly we're worried, we're worried about some things. We go, that's seeking to shape my decisions and what I'm going to do with my money or my life, my relationships. And actually, we need to just go, actually, God's bigger than that. God's bigger than that. And so, I wonder, just really simply, we could respond this morning in these two areas. These two areas say, actually, God, I really do want to reflect you, in the, even in the minutiae of life. Because sometimes they're the critical moments. And maybe this is just a fresh moment for us to actually say, you know, Lord, I just want to kind of surrender afresh to you. I want you to own me and shape me, not the things of Caesar. Is that all right? It's quite simple, actually, isn't it? So why don't we stand?